This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. If you weren't there, well, you weren't there. But this year's CU 2.0 VIP Live in Boulder was three nights and two days of the unexpected, the unimagined and a whole lot of interchange and learning among credit union and fintech executives. Over the next week, I will be uploading five podcasts where VIP attendees share what's on their minds. Yes, there is background ambient noise. Tune it out. In this first podcast, Paul Fiore, known as the founder of Digital Insight and C Wallet, along with Sean Shea, founder and CEO of Concrete, tell about Shea's app that will enable owning fractional shares in rental real estate. Concrete is spelled C-O-N-C-R-E-I-T. So, yep, the spelling of the company's name is right. Read, right? Okay, you got that. Why such an app? Fiori explains that credit unions are seeing a huge outflow of deposits, mainly into investment vehicles that aren't widely available at credit unions, such as crypto, fractional real estate, robo-stock trading, etc., etc., He believes that for credit unions to compete, they have to get with the program. They have to offer competitive products. Concrete is a case in point. In a future show from this round of VIP Live, you'll hear about a digital investment play now offered to credit unions. A lot happened at this show. You'll hear about it. Listen up. So why don't you start, tell me your name and tell me your company and what you do. Uh, so I'm Sean Shea. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Concrete. Uh, we help our clients build long-term wealth through real estate ownership. Um, what we do is we will actually uh, offer fractional real estate investments that are in the private market, so not anything publicly traded. Uh, it's more well-known as the alternative space, um, and we built a mobile application that makes it incredibly easy to invest into real estate. All right. I'm Paul Fiore. I'm founder and CEO of Digital Insight and CU Wallet. And most recently, I'm scouring the country for brilliant entrepreneurs that have products that the credit industry need to thrive. And pleasure to have met Sean and helping make introductions for him in the credit union industry. What kind of companies are you looking for, Paul? So I'm centering it around a category of product. And I'm, I believe the most, the biggest need right now is investment category. So uh, credit unions thrive and innovate for lending. They could always just improve on the way they underwrite, the way they collect on a loan, what products, a new category like solar loans or RV loans become a category. Credit unions could easily lend to those categories. And as it evolves from personal signature loans to credit card or second mortgages to home equity or auto loans to auto leasing, they're, they're at the forefront. But for savings products, this is, has not evolved in 30 years. It's still a share draft a share account, CD, and a money market. So because the regulatory structure of credit unions, those alternate investments like stocks, gold, crypto, real estate, private equity, wind up going outside of the credit union and those funds never return. So I've been looking for companies that have alternate investment using either fractional, like in Sean's case for real estate, or using robo-advisors that you could help members not need to have a personal wealth manager, but use technology to help identify what product categories to invest in so that the members get the best return and the credit unions also uh, are benefiting. Now, Sean, you're doing something very different and interesting. 
I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with robo-advisors in the stock market. You're dealing with real estate. How does that work? Well, uh, we could start just with the, the same, like a simple concept, right? Like I think in, in a lot of ways when we say fractionalization, it's about taking a single home right now or a single asset and then um, breaking it up into shares so that they can be purchased by investors. So at, at the most simplistic level, that's what we uh, do for um, a lot of our investments. We also will do things where we have a particularly managed strategy that has a mandate where uh, we have one called the cash flow strategy right now. And it's an alternative savings product that allows you to step into a private investment fund to buy shares of that where we're generating income return or um, interest income returns. And then uh, we've also incorporated weekly dividends and weekly payouts. So all this is all uh, different types of strategies you would find on Wall Street for ultra high net worth investors. And we're figuring out ways to bring them to non-accredited retail investors, people that don't have a lot of dollars. Who owns the property that comes into your system? The investors ultimately own the property when they come into the system, but it's being managed by us. So uh, we will go through the process of doing the sourcing, the acquisition, the negotiations. Uh, we'll work with property managers. So we we take care of a lot of the headaches that you generally would, uh, would undergo if you became a landlord um, and wanted to invest into rentals yourself. Um, and then we make it uh, very easy for people to step into in flexible dollar amounts. Um, our mission has been to really democratize the access to one of the oldest asset classes that have generated, you know, millionaires uh, for many generations now. And what kinds of properties you're dealing with? Right now, we're dealing with largely single family rentals. From our perspective, there is a massive opportunity uh, that is where we've been in it and it's also starting to grow. So we're seeing a, a lot of uh, inventory shortages for single family homes. I, I think it's not really a secret that homes are becoming more and more unaffordable. Um, and then Wall Street has been stepping more and more into the single family rental space as well over the last uh, decade. And we want to bring that opportunity to retail investors in a way where they can build their own unique portfolios. If I remember correctly, Blackstone, for instance, went in heavily into buying single family homes circa 2010. Yeah. With the intent to hold them for a finite number of years, a small number of years, and then flip them. But circa 2015, they realized these things are really cash flow positive. Why do we want to flip them? <laughs> so they, they held on to them. Interesting. And, you know, I, I can see that happening. Um, I, I, I was not an investor in any of the Blackstone funds myself, but I think we've seen a lot of the different strategies from the institutional side. Um, our general thesis is that we would have a term of five to seven years in terms of the hold. That way you give uh, the asset itself some time to actually generate the cash flow that you're looking for and to accrue some appreciation. And then at that point you would sell the asset. But yeah, I, I don't think it would be unheard of to, as a real estate operator, go, hey, I, I like this asset. I think it's generating enough income. Uh, hey, you know, hey, investors, are you okay if we hold on to it and we run this in, uh, for maybe another cycle? Is there any particular geography you're looking at? Uh, typically, the top MSAs in the United States right now, what we're looking for are strong economic fundamentals. Um, we're coming into a really interesting time in the, like, just from a macro standpoint, where uh, we're dealing with high interest rates, um, we're dealing with high inflation, the inventory of homes are at a, you know, at a, at a low, and housing starts are at a low right now, too. 
we are just making sure that the investments that we're making in specific markets have strong fundamentals to allow us to go through a potential recession um, in, in those areas. And then ones where, you know, the employers are ones that make sense for the future as well. So the way that we think through our thesis is one where it's about resiliency. It's an enduring investment for our investors. Yeah, I live in Phoenix and personally, I think Phoenix real estate is overpriced right now. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to start falling in price six months ago. And if it's kept going up. It's counterintuitive. It makes no sense. The interest rates are going up, but the real estate prices are going up. Have, so, how about the rents? Have you seen that soften at all? Uh, my understanding is rents are continuing to climb, particularly for uh, single-family houses. Yeah, I could see the demand for single family um, being unique and interesting. It, you know, we, we look at multifamily in Phoenix right now and we've seen some rent soften. Um, but our long-term thesis on Phoenix is one where we, we believe that it's, it, it's a growing market. We haven't been actively looking in bringing homes from Phoenix on our platform, um, but it's definitely on our list of cities that we're paying attention to. Now, Paul, you know credit union executives. Are they going to understand what Sean's talking about? I think a credit executive intuitively knows that money is flowing out, whether it's going to crypto, real estate, private equity, or stock market. You can make a list of ACH withdrawals compared to deposits and make a list of your top 50. And they also are aware that innovation comes from entrepreneurs. So the people that are making products like Greenlight and Chime and Betterment and Acorns and Concrete are unique people, you know, you, to ideate, dream up, invent a new category, build a product that's compelling that in Sean's case, a hundred thousand people have downloaded and the marks they get from consumers about how useful the app is and how user-friendly it is, is magical. It doesn't just happen. It takes entrepreneurs years to get it to the point where it works. So I think the technical parts of how REITs work and how investment structures work may go over some credit in people's heads, but the big picture is money is leaving. It's not going to come back. What if you had a chance to pick back the clock and get a percentage back of every stock purchased through E-Trade or Fidelity when a member withdrew it from your credit and via ACH? You can't go back in time and do that for stocks, but what if you could do that for real estate, for fractional ownership, for crypto investments? And see, I think I, I see them understanding REITs and real estate. I'm not sure how readily they're going to understand the fractional part. But then I think about the stock market where now you can buy a fraction of an Apple share. Yeah. You, you don't have to buy the whole damn thing. Whereas 20 years ago, you want a fraction of a share? Yeah. <laughs> I was in uh, Uber last night. We were here in Boulder, Colorado, and the driver was talking about some alternate coin, which is one millionth of a penny, and talking about penny stocks. And we were just talking in general. My thesis is it's better to own one millionth of a share of Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> than a million shares of some crap coin that's out there in the crypto world, right? So that fractional ownership makes sense. To my daughter's 15 and a half. She works and she makes money. She can't afford to buy a house in Los Angeles, but she can afford to buy one tiny piece of 15 houses and be geographically diversified and diversified in other ways. So yeah, I think fractional ownership is not that complicated of a concept. And I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. And, and you see something like Sean's product being in a bucket of products that would be offered. Yes, I think that the credit union doesn't have to understand if the member wants to withdraw money to buy Tesla stock or Ethereum, crypto, 
or fractional real estate in Atlanta or Washington, or they have fractional art. There's fractional song uh, publishing rights portfolios for music publishing. There's fractional ownership of lots of different asset categories. I don't think the credit needs to understand what motivates the member for what type of asset category they want to get into. But if they could offer a unregulated, outside of the NCUA insured environment with all the proper disclaimers and disclosures, but a best of breed member benefited product with low fees, there's no one out there trying to overcharge in the stock example of bid ask price so that the member winds up overpaying for that Tesla stock or overpaying for the trade execution on a crypto purchase. The member wins, the credit union wins, and the vendor wins. And in the credit union, one of the ways they win is a rev share. That companies like Concrete are offering credit unions a share in exchange for distribution because credit unions own the member relationship and the trust. They can on-ramp new members and people like Sean and other companies like his build world-class products and together they're better. So what's the minimum investment, Sean? On our platform today, the minimum is a uh, dollar for the cash flow fund. And then we're working on bringing on fractional shares of rental homes and uh, we're looking at starting that at hundred dollars. So we're, we're talking about very, very approachable dollar amounts. Um, we generally don't uh, advise that clients just start with a dollar, but I think for some people that that's what makes them comfortable, then that's fine. Um, generally what we see with our investors is they will start with a smaller dollar amount and then quickly ramp up to a few thousand dollars in terms of their balances. And then the hope is that as we grow with them long-term, they'll be taking cash and investing it into homes over a longer period of time. Um, we're registered as an investment advisor. And so we fully expect that we're going to have a very long-term relationship with these clients. So we act in a fiduciary capacity from the start and through the whole life cycle. So if after six months of doing this, I say, I don't want to do it anymore. What happens? Depending on the product you're in, depending on what you're investing in, um, you could pull out your money. And then if it's uh, with these single family rental homes that you're going to be holding for the term, of the investment. And so in the cash flow fund right now, we produce, uh, we go through on a week by week basis and we produce liquidity for our investors that have emergencies that want to come out. Um, but for our investors that are looking for something a little bit more longer term and liquid, um, they're going to have to be okay thinking about this as a long term investment. What, what would the, what's the term? What's the typical term? Typical term that we're looking at right now is five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And so when you're thinking about an investor who is in their 20s and 30s, they, they have that time. That's okay. Generally, the, the, the amount of time that a homeowner would live in their home is about seven years as well. Right. And so when you think about real estate, it doesn't really fit into this like get rich quick scheme that I think a lot of people are seeing maybe in different asset classes today. It's not about day trading. It's not about making a quick buck. It's about making a prudent investment in, in an asset class that can become resilient in different um, different uh, macro phases and then at the same time just there as a staple to your portfolio. And how, how many, approximately how many customers do you have who are in it for five to seven years? None right now because we haven't launched the, the fractional homes, but we're doing that right now. We're working on all that. We've had, we, we do have investors that have been with Concrete now um, since the beginning. And so that's about three years. And what kind of investors? It's a pretty big mix. Um, we have uh, investors that have been in the real estate investment and where they may have already invested in real estate themselves. And then we have people that this might actually be their first investment ever. And so when you think about the level of sophistication, it, it varies pretty dramatically. Um, but our whole philosophy is to build a product that is self-explanatory, very easy to use. 
Um, we're very focused on making sure that our investors understand what's going on. So it, it's it's not something that requires like a lawyer to be around you to kind of run through paperwork or anything like that. Are you venture funded? We are. Yeah, we're venture backed. Yeah, we uh, Ma- Matrix led our last round, uh, Matrix Partners, and then Unlock BP and Hyphen Capital as well. Mm-hmm. I think it does take a particular type of venture investor to kind of look at the asset class and the market and go, I believe that there's a, you know, there's actually momentum and there's growth here. Um, and so we were pretty uh, specific when it came down to the investors that we wanted to talk to. We were looking for venture investors that would be a strategic um, investor inside of our cap table to provide us with the guidance in, in fintech. Do you, are the investors patient investors? Yes. Um, so we did a seed round. So I think for most seed investors, there is this concept like, you, you know, you, you really don't know. I, I think when we get to series A, uh, things will look very different. There'll probably be quite a bit of a wick that's put on things. Um, but our investors have been really, really great in terms of working with us as we've been uh, going through and, and launching different um, aspects of our product to then get to what we feel like is, is going to really have product market fit for our, our clients. Do you think investors have the uh, venture investors have the patience to stick with this, Paul? Yeah, I mean, a venture investor have raised a lot of money from venture capital for different companies over the years. Uh, it's you're hoping that of a hundred random investments in your sweet spots, so there are seed investors, there's series early stages, late stage investors. You're hoping for five kind of rock star investments that have that 100x return. Digital Insight was one of those 100x returns. You're hoping for a bunch of doubles and singles. And their strategy is the ones that are losing that are going to fade away, they stop investing in. So there's only one check. But the ones that are growing, you come back in on the second round, the third round, the fourth round. And what I'm hoping to do is to pair that investment with a credit and industry investment to encourage Concrete to do this in partnership with credit unions and launch it in a way where the credit unions brand uh, stays prevalent and uh, it's a win-win for, for everybody. I just remember a conversation I had with a fintech guy, I'm sure you know, um, about 10 years ago, who was, his company was venture-backed. He just sold it out to a large, a large legacy fintech. And, uh, and I said, why the hell did you do that? You know, you have a great product. They're just going to kill it. And he said, I know, but my investors made me sell so I have thought on that. And I shared with a couple of people over this uh, retreat here in Boulder, and it's an ideal structure is uh, CUSO that's 100% owned by Credians, like a co-op or a PSCU. But it doesn't get the entrepreneurial zeal that you need for people to work seven days a week and you know 18-hour days that's required at times for a startup company. So I was thinking of an alternate path where you have a company that's already seated and venture-funded like Concrete, and you allow credit to invest along with their lead investor that's already believes in the company at the a fair valuation. Now the credit have a stake. You could also then have milestones for your next Series A, where if Concrete gets to X numbers of dollars of assets under management or X numbers of members that actively use the app, it triggers a follow-on investment, this time led by credit unions at a higher valuation, where credit now own 25% of the company. It provides an automatic exit for former employees, legacy, early stage investors, people that came in. And then for the VCs that are looking for the home run, you then do a Series B along with milestones where if they get to the next tier of milestones, it triggers another investment where over time, let's say over 20 years, 
maybe the founders and the entrepreneurs are looking for an exit and you don't have to go public. You don't have to get acquired. You don't have to be merged. There's a built-in economic system where more credit unions invest over time at various strike prices to buy out the shares. And I, don't, I haven't heard of this model being used, but it occurred to me that this might be a perfect way to do it. Sean, when did you hear of Cusos? Uh, a few months ago. Hey. I think, yeah. Um, I, I remember I was writing for Credit Union Times, and editor said, you have to do this thing on Kirk Drake and this ongoing operations Cuso. And I said, what's a Cuso? <laughs> <laughs> And she told me, and I mean, okay, it kind of makes sense. So yeah, I, I, I never make fun of people for saying I, I've never heard of a QZ. Hey, man, who, who did? Who did? Yeah. Now, you, you, you said this morning that you came out of a restaurant family. How did you go from coming out of a restaurant family to an idea of fractionalizing real estate? Well, it really started with my parents. They were immigrants from Taiwan, and we didn't have a lot of means, and uh, their income was building a restaurant. So I learned a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit watching them sort of stay up late, wake up early, uh, just work really hard to build something. They weren't really avid investors when I was younger, uh, but they did want financial freedom. That was the dream. And they started buying um, single family homes that we would live in or one of our family or maybe extended family would live in. And then eventually they started to turn into rentals. Now it's not like we had a lot of these homes, but that sort of um, just that experience really left an impression on me. I went off to college to study computer science and I came out and built my first company and I didn't really want anything to do with the family restaurant business of hard work or anything, but I started diving deep in tech and, um, I got to the point where, uh, we were able to sell my last company. And so we were, we were pretty lucky in that regard. And, um, then as a lot of founders who sell a company, they, end up having, you know, they go from having not a lot to then waking up the next saying, oh crap, I have money. What do I do with this? And so I started investing into real estate myself. And then in that process had this aha moment of questioning, why did it take for me to have to build a company and to sell it for me to be able to get into Brazilian real estate investments or ones that I felt like would generate income and, and be good for, you know, something I thought everyone should be able to partake in. So that, that didn't sit well with me. And that's what sort of got me to go, let me dig into this. Let me figure out if there's a way that I could give my, the earlier version of myself, the 20 year old Sean, the way of being able to invest in the way that he understood it, which was, you know, did I have a few hundred bucks a week that I could throw in at something? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, was it, was it top of mind for me to go, let me save up a hundred grand to then go buy a home? No, absolutely not. I mean, that, that was a tough thing for me to think about with everything else that was competing on my mind at that point. Why not just gather together six or seven other guys and you'll know, throw in three grand or something and that's a down payment on a house? Totally. I think people can do that today. Um, the big question is, well, who's going to manage it? Do we all want to dive in and become active members of an LC and effectively become you know, general partners with each other? That's a bigger, broader question. Um, but I think people still do that today. I think that, that is, that's still commonplace, but I think the stuff that is really tough that wasn't really around before was being able to just throw in a hundred bucks on a particular asset and have that be professionally managed for you. So I think being able to offer that will really open up the ability to access these investments for a broad group of people that would have never been able to get into it before. When you, when you model this, what kind of return are, are, are you, are you seeing for, for investors? And you're not promising this in this, this show. You, I'm, I'm just saying with, when you build up models, and yeah. you show them the venture of capital people. What kind of numbers are you showing? 
Oh, for venture capital? No, no, for the for the hundred dollar oh, for, investor. For retail investors, yeah. So right now we're doing what what I would call more like core single family rentals, more turnkey. Um, those with uh, you know probably land in the low team IRR. So you know ten to fifteen, depending on the asset, the market, and what we're underwriting in terms of the uh, the cap rate or the, the cash and cash that you're going to see. It's going to vary depending on the asset. It's going to vary depending on the markets as well. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about an older home, if you were to take that down and rehab it, you could probably squeeze out more percentages uh, in terms of your return rate versus buying something that's lower risk, maybe coming straight from a builder that the home is brand new and you're just acquiring at a really good price and then renting that out. So you're talking, are you talking multiples of what I would get on a savings account, I assume? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's probably no way to really kind of compare this to a savings account. The savings account would probably be a little bit more of like a yield product, um, more akin to what we built with our cash flow strategy, uh, which that gives off about, that, that's doing a little over 6% and we pay that out weekly and that has liquidity. But yeah, I, I think jumping from saving your money to then investing, you're, you're learning to take on risk. And then for each investor, it's about how much risk do you want to take on for that potential award you're, you're looking for. Mm-hmm. When, when is your uh, real estate product going to be live? We're working on selling, you know, selling the first home soon to a private group uh, internally. And then we will, uh, we're working with the SCO on the qualification for the broader investments. How long do you think that process will take? You know, it could, it could vary. Um, we, we could, it might be, you know, a few months to six months, but I, I'm hoping it's going to be on the, the quicker end of things. Um, this model now has been something that the SEC has sort of seen a few times. And so we're hoping that the conversations won't take this long as time around. Well, if they're comfortable selling zillions of fractions of an Apple share, I, I'm, you know, a house yeah. is more tangible than an Apple share. I think I got what I wanted. Anything either of you wants to add to this? I would say concrete is spelled C-O-N-R-E-I-T, like a real estate investment trust. And even though the fractional homeownership part is a product coming soon, there is a product in market. So credit executives that are interested in learning more could download the app in the App Store or the Google Play and learn more about it. And, and don't tell me you don't think Fiori is a good sales guy. Don't, don't tell me. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's great. I mean, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Try to top that, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sold me on QSOs. I was like, I didn't even know what QSOs were before. So, yeah, there you go, right? Thank you, Bob. This is great.